Good morning, my name is Jesse. I'm part of the team. It's my great privilege this morning to open the Bible with you. Before we do that, let's just spend a moment in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we live in 2023 and that we have the Bible in English, language we can understand, and that it's so freely available on our phones and physical copies. We just thank you for the Bible. Um, Father, as we open the Bible and try to understand what it means and how it relates to us, how it doesn't relate to us, Father, we just ask that the Holy Spirit will be at work here this morning. Please use me and use the Bible to challenge and inspire your people who are here this morning to live as you want us to live. Father, we just want to ask that you will give us hearts and minds which are ready to be transformed by you. Amen. As Caroline said, next week, all of the the kids' ministries kick off. But that means this week we have the enormous privilege as a church of sharing the service with all of the young people. Well, I read today's passage for the first time when I was about 10 years old. And I was very confused. I couldn't understand why Jesus would tell a story, a a parable, which is a story that illustrates a point, why he would tell a story where the main character does something dishonest, like stealing from his master, and then gets commended or praised for that. I spent lots of time studying it and I found out that this servant, this manager, stole an enormous sum of money from his master. Years worth of wages. But that doesn't help us. That just tells us he was a very dishonest manager. I spent more time studying it. And eventually, when I was young, I set it in the too hard basket and I said, I have no idea. One day, maybe I'll understand. Well, today, I believe I understand what Jesus was telling us. And I'm excited to share it with you. And I think it has relevance if you're 97 years old and if you are seven years old. So Jesus starts his parable, which is a story that illustrates a point by talking about this manager working for a rich man and the manager is accused of wasting his master's money. The manager finds out about it and so he sends a summons to to the wasteful manager and he says, come, give an account of everything. Tell me all the numbers because I need to replace you because you're wasting all my money. So the manager, he goes, oh no. He knows he's been dishonest. He knows he's been wasteful. 
And so he says, okay, well, I'm going to come up with a plan to still live a good life even after I'm fired and replaced. And so he does this dishonest thing. He forgives these big debts of all these people so that after he's fired, he'll have heaps of people who owe him favors. And then he'll still be able to, be, to live a good life. The closest parallel that I could think of is when we elect politicians. And certain politicians, not all of them, but certain of them, give special favors to business, businesses while they are in power. And then the month after they are removed from parliament, they magically have a job in that business that they gave, <laughs> gave a special business deal to from the government. Well, the, th- the, the thing is, you would expect Jesus to say this dishonest stealing manager was thrown into jail to rot for the rest of his days. But that isn't what Jesus says. Jesus finishes his parable by having the rich man who's been robbed praise this thieving manager. And he praises the manager not for his thievery, but for his forward thinking, for his shrewdness, it says. And then to top it all off, Jesus implies that we should be like the dishonest manager, the villain of this story. And at this point, I think it'll be really helpful to make just two really quick observations. I think it's especially important to make these observations because the young people are in church with us this morning. Just the first observation, God is not in favor of thievery, of stealing. The eighth commandment, it's pretty short, pretty concise. God just says, you shall not steal. So whatever Jesus is telling us to do, he's not telling us to steal from our employers. Or if you're a young person, to steal from your teacher or your school. If you're a young person who's being homeschooled, to steal from your parents. Jesus is not telling us to steal. Second observation about what Jesus is not telling us to do. God does not want us to do our best to get rich at any cost, to give up our morals, our friends, betray them, whatever. Jesus is not telling us to, get, to set aside everything in the pursuit of money, like this villainous manager did. Because in verse 13, Caroline talked about it for us, Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You'll hate the one, love the other. You'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. So whatever Jesus is telling us, he isn't telling us to pursue wealth or money at all costs. So what in the world does Jesus mean when he says that we should be like this thieving manager? What is Jesus telling us? 
Well, he explains it for us. In verse eight, I'm gonna pick it up halfway through verse eight. Jesus says, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus is not telling us to be thieves. He's not telling us to be dishonest. This parable is a contrasting parable. Jesus is saying the people of this world, the worldly people, like this villainous thieving manager, are often smart and forwards thinking. And Jesus is saying, how much more should the people who have been entrusted with the knowledge of how all of eternity will play out, how much more should we be smart and forward thinking? Rather than saying that we should be dishonest, Jesus is saying that we should use all of our resources, our time, our energy, our money, our lollies that you might have at school, should use everything we have as if they are temporary, as if they are going to go away. Because in the big picture, the Bible tells us that everything in the world is temporary. The Bible is filled with reminders that life on earth is fleeting. One of the most clear is in Psalm 144, verse 4, where David writes, they, meaning humans, are like a breath. <sighs> Their days are like a fleeting shadow. I don't know if any of you young people have tried to catch your shadow before. I did that once or twice just for fun. Man, shadows move quick. The Bible tells us that our lives end quickly. Therefore, we should not invest our whole selves into this life. It is in this way that we should be like the, thie the dishonest manager, the thieving manager. This manager, he was smart about the way that he conducted himself when he knew that his position wasn't permanent. And we should be smart about ourselves, about the possessions God has given us, because we believe that our position in this world is not permanent. We're kind of like refugees passing through. Our true home is somewhere else. For the believer in Jesus, life isn't all about the now. Because of Jesus' victory over death. We just celebrated Jesus' victory over death last week at Easter. But we celebrate it because Jesus' victory over death is also our victory over death. 
as Christians, we believe that we will share in Jesus' victory over sin and death, and that if we die before he returns, we will be raised back to life and spend eternity in paradise with him. Because of Jesus, we believe that we will have life after death. And that ought to change our calculations when it comes to worldly wealth. Jesus says that we should use our worldly wealth to gain friends for ourselves so that when it is gone, we will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Money, fame, cars, gold, bitcoins, playstations, ripsticks, none of that will come with us when we pass through to the next life. And Jesus is saying that we should be generous with our money and our other resources, our time, our lunch at school. You know, there might be a kid that forgot his lunch. Maybe you could share half of that with him. Jesus is saying we should be generous with our money and our other resources so that there will be people in eternal paradise who will have an extra measure of love and appreciation for us. Let let me share a brief story. About nine years ago, actually closer to 10 now, I moved to Australia. My parents were missionaries in Ukraine, and I finished school and I moved to Australia. I worked for a year and a half, and I knew that I was going to go to Bible college. And I also knew that my car was not a good car to take with me to Bible college in the middle of the city. My car is older than me. Things were breaking left, right, and center. The worst thing, I still remember that, just the, the scariness of this. No joke, it took me 10 meters to come to a complete stop when I would hit the brake all the way down. I'm not sure how I didn't have an accident. Well, there was this amazing godly couple, John and Jeanette Nicole. They're former missionaries in Africa. I'd spoken to them maybe once at church or something. I did not know these people. I definitely didn't know that they were missionaries in Africa or I barely knew their names. And they found out somehow that I was needing a car. And they got in contact with me and they said, Jesse, We've heard about your need and we would love to sell you our car if you'd like it for half of its value. I've just moved over from Ukraine. I'm not, I'm not super wealthy. <laughs> and they actually sold it to me for slightly less than half its value and I was so grateful. That car was such a blessing to me. It was the best kind of car, a Toyota. <laughs> but <laughs> no joke though, it didn't break once for the whole time I was at Bible college. And I ended up selling it for about the same amount of money I I bought it for after using it for seven years. And when I'm in eternal paradise, you can bet that I will be inviting over John and Jeanette Nicole, 
my gratitude to them will echo through all of eternity. But can you imagine how much more magnified that gratitude will be for someone who finds life in Jesus, eternal life in Jesus, because of your generosity? Because you supported a missionary and God used that missionary to help someone find life in Jesus. Because you supported Oasis Church, partnered with us in our vision to help more people find life in Jesus. Maybe because you were generous for Jesus' sake to your neighbor who was going through a really hard time and that opened the door for a gospel conversation through that relationship. And they find Jesus because of your generosity. Or maybe if you're a young person, because you did share lunch with the kid generously for the sake of Jesus with the kid who forgot their lunch and has no money for the tuck shop. Jesus is telling us that we need to be looking at our money and the rest of our resources as temporary money. Monopoly, the game, it normally ends after a couple of hours. Unless if you've played a really terrible match, sometimes it goes for 10 or 12. But if you could play Monopoly in such a way that you could finish with something that has real, lasting value, that could echo through all of eternity, wouldn't you want to do that? Well, basically, that is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying your life on earth is temporary. It is not your final destination. So don't invest your whole life into worldly things. If you knew that all your possessions were going to be lost in two weeks, I bet that most of us would live differently. I know that I would. Now, we expect, at least I do, to be here for a lot longer than two weeks. But the basic principle is the same. Jesus is saying that our driving motivation shouldn't be wealth or a cushy job or your reputation or any other worldly thing. Now, Jesus isn't telling us to be irresponsible, to make bonfires out of $10 bills, polluting the atmosphere with the plastic and also leaving ourselves destitute. There's wisdom to save money and invest money. Instead, Jesus is telling us to be deadly serious about money, to be intentional, to be wise and to use it for his glory. If you struggle with this, maybe it might be helpful for you to get a budget and be intentional about money, to treat it seriously.
Listen to what Jesus says next. Reading from verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, because ultimately everything we have belongs to God who created it all. If you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? If you are a believer in Jesus here this morning, a follower of Jesus, this is especially true for you. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you've turned away from sin and proclaimed Jesus as Lord of your life, then this is true for you. Jesus is not, that doesn't just, when you proclaim Jesus Lord of your life, you're not just proclaiming him as Lord of your Sundays and maybe Wednesday evening. It means you've made him the Lord of everything in your life, including your money, your time. You know, maybe if you proclaim him as Lord of your life, that means you've proclaimed him as Lord over your TV, which for me takes up a lot of time your superannuation, your tax return, everything. Scholars estimate that about a third of Jesus' parables are about money. And he probably talked about it so much because it promises, falsely, but money promises to be the God that can give us anything. It It enables us to pursue all kinds of things, power, property, relaxation, sex, beauty, adrenaline, travel. (coughs) Money reveals what we truly value, the way that we spend money. Jesus continues saying in verse 13, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one, love the other, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We are supposed to use money to serve God. Jesus is saying that everything we do, it should be motivated out of our love for him because ultimately our hearts are capable of loving only one thing. If your chief motivation is the desire to be wealthy or successful in in some other way, worldly way, if that is your greatest love, then you cannot love God as you need to. Like Jesus says, you cannot love, cannot love and serve both God and money. You can insert any word in the place of money and the statement will still be true. You cannot serve both God and insert your own word. And it's worth thinking about this so carefully if you are a follower of Jesus, a young follower of Jesus, a middle-aged follower of Jesus, or an old 
aged follower of Jesus. Does your life declare that your chief love is Jesus? That the thing that you worship, the person you worship is Jesus? Or does your life declare that you worship money? Or one of the things that money enables you to pursue? Jesus says it is only possible to serve one of these things. Now we have to remember what Adam explained last week in the Salieri and Amadeus story which he told. In that story, Salieri gave away everything he had to God and still his heart was very far from God. No one has ever bought their way into God's family. We are not generous because it is possible to buy God's favor or buy our way into heaven or into God's family. We are generous for other reasons. So so why? Why does God care? Why does Jesus care what we do with our worldly stuff? Well, ultimately, he knows that nothing on earth will ever bring us lasting happiness. And he wants us to fix our eyes on the one thing, the only thing, that can bring us lasting joy, which which is himself. In his book, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis, this amazing Christian author, writes this. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making pies in a slum because he can't even imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We, Lewis finishes, we are far too easily pleased. If you've ever been to a carnival, often there are prizes that you can go for. There's the tiny achievable prize and the big prize. It's really hard to get. Well, Jesus wants us to go for the big prize. Have confidence that we can get it, not because of our own goodness or our own righteousness, but because of what Jesus did for us when he died and rose again. We celebrated it last week. Jesus telling us, go for the big prize. There's a twofold response to the question, what motivates us 
to use everything we have to serve God. Firstly, our natural desire for our own happiness. If God loves us enough to have sent his own son to die in our place, we can be so confident that everything he asks us to do is for our ultimate joy. Verses 11 and 12, I'm not going to read them, but I think that they'll come up on the screen for us. Or is it 10 and 11? Sorry. They show us that the way that we handle worldly wealth affects whether God will entrust us with true wealth. God desires for us to experience true and lasting joy. And we cannot do that if our eyes are fixed on mud pies. We can't do that if we're chasing after the false god of money or the false god that money enables us to pursue. He wants us to go for the big prize and have the joy of getting it rather than being sidetracked by things which are ultimately worthless and unfulfilling. Secondly, in 2 Corinthians, Paul was encouraging the Christians in the church there to be generous. And here's what he said. He's talking about the same kind of things we're talking about this morning. Paul said, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor, so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. We are called to be generous because that is the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, we believe that Jesus left perfect paradise where he was fabulously wealthy, unimaginably powerful, permanently and constantly respected to come down to earth and be born into a humble family in a tiny village on the edge of the map, on the edge of the Roman Empire. Jesus traded worship for insults and glory, eternal glory, for torture and death. And like Paul says, Jesus did that so that we can become eternally rich. So that we can exchange our absolute poverty for adoption into the very family of God. So that we can cease sinfully chasing unfulfilling earthly pursuits and live our lives with, with our eyes fixed on the one person who can satisfy us. Living in joyful friendship and harmony with the creator of everything. Safe in the knowledge that we will spend eternity with him in paradise no matter what comes. Can you imagine what it will be like to live every day 
in light of eternity. To use your worldly wealth, your worldly everything, your time, your possessions, to use all of that for kingdom purposes. Making friends whose gratitude will echo for all of eternity. Can you imagine finding out when you reach paradise that God used some of the money that you gave away to help another person find eternal life in Jesus? Can you imagine meeting that person? Can you imagine the joy of that meet, that moment? Well, Jesus calls us to live like this, to live every day in light of eternity. Friends, I urge you, if you are a follower of Jesus, to examine your life and see if you are obeying Jesus by living in light of eternity. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you right now for giving us a reason to live for more than just temporary worldly success, temporary worldly pleasure. Father, we just thank you for Jesus who's the ultimate example of someone who was generous. Who was generous, not, not, not just to other people, but generous to us. Father, we especially thank you for creating a way for us to have lasting joy through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Father, please, Let the generosity that we have experienced from Jesus overflow into lives of the people around us. Help us to follow the example of Jesus, we ask, even when it's hard. Father, please help us to live lives that are focused on serving you, lives that are lived in light of eternity. In Jesus' name. Amen.